this week on the Divided Opinion podcast. Season three of the Divided Opinion podcast. You heard that right. Now, we've seen yesterday it came out that he has had his assets frozen. So Roman Abramovich is somewhere right now spitting feathers. He's not a regular starter, so they're going to really have to rethink what they want to do here. and They are going to have to put all their trust in these the youth players finally you know I mean they've done a good job recently at bringing players through like James Mount Was it PSG's demise or was it Real Madrid's good work that And now it doesn't even seem like all that stuff bothers him and when they sort of lose it just sort of seems like oh it's just it's happened again and I'm not really that bothered it's just examples of them kind of looking out for themselves as well, isn't it? And just their their own interests at heart. It's, there's no kind of thought about the club. Hello and welcome back to season three of the Divided Opinion podcast. You heard that right. It's season three. I mean, we, we have literally just come up with that before coming live. We've had a little break, a little hiatus. Westy's had a lot of uni work to do, which I think we can all understand. How's it been going, Westy? You, you getting there? Slowly but surely, yeah. Getting there. Um, bit of a slog, but it'll all be worth it when... Uh, well, hopefully it'll all be worth it. <laughs> we're, we're back now. We're back. I think it's, it's completely understandable. And I think it's been good to have a little bit of a break. And I think we've kind of been just kind of working out what we want to do with the podcast and where we want it to go. I think interviews... Uh, what we both kind of agreed that is going to be the next, the next, next stage in the podcast. Um, so we'd greatly appreciate if you guys let us know if what kind of interviews you want to see, what kind of people you want to see on the on the podcast. Um, obviously within reason. <laughs> we've got a few contacts. We've got a few people we could get get on the on the podcast, and hopefully, I think it's something that we really would be interested in doing. We're both avid watchers of podcasts ourselves. And I think it's important to say as well that like we might not be able to get the the big names, the A-listers on here, but that doesn't we don't want them. We want the people that have got stories that might not have been heard. And yeah, I think it could be. I'm looking forward to doing that. So yeah, let us know, guys. And obviously, you can interact with us uh, through at Divided Opinion on Instagram. Um, obviously, we've we spoke about it before, but if you're new to the podcast and new to Divided Opinion. We're a kind of a sports, well, not sports, maybe sports in the future, but we're a football-specific outlet at the minute. And Instagram, we put articles, uh, updates, uh, match reports. Am I missing anything, Westy? I think you've hit the nail on the head, mate. Hit the nail on the head. Right, but yeah, so if you want to check us out, if you want to interact, you want to let us know what you want to hear on the podcast. Obviously, these kind of episodes where today we're going to be talking about all things that we've missed and all things that we haven't covered. I mean, there's there's a lot. There's a shed load of stuff that we need to discuss. But but yeah, let us know what you want to hear because um, we're all ears and I suppose we're both all ears in this. People listening and us doing the talking. Um, right, I'm waffling a bit now. Let's get into the episode. And we're going to chuck ourselves right in at the deep end here. Roman Abramovich 
I mean, there's a timeline here. I'll put it up on the story on the Instagram. Sorry to go on about the Instagram again. But there's a timeline. So a few weeks back, we had he relinquished stewardship of the club. So in simple terms, he handed over control of the club, not selling it. A few days later, he's announced that he is going to sell the club. He released a statement saying it was for the best of Chelsea and it had the fans at heart. I think it seemed empty words to a lot of people, um, but we ain't, we're not going to go into that. But And then now we have seen that, well, we'll go, actually going back to that second point, he was desperate apparently. He was terrified of getting sanctioned. So he was trying to sell it. He offered it around three billion, I think I saw kind of the, the figure chucked around and then now we've seen yesterday it came out that he has had his assets frozen so Roman Abramovich is somewhere right now spitting feathers because Chelsea I don't know we don't know where they stand do we Chelsea no, no. in kind of the short term how do you see this impacting them I think we're seeing obviously they can't sell tickets only season ticket holders are allowed to go to games for the foreseeable future I haven't seen much anything about away fans. I don't know how that works. Yeah. Because obviously season ticket holders don't have tickets to away fans, so away games. Yeah, I'm not sure particularly how it works. I mean, when you when when we're talking of home games at Stamford Bridge, I don't know whether away fans will be able to attend or whether they'll sort of give all proceeds to the the travelling club. I'm not mm. sure. Maybe when Chelsea say they've got a few away games left this season and in Europe when they go to different away grounds I'm not sure how that will work whether they'll be able to go still or I think I think usually the a lot of the proceeds go to a split would go to the the, the away side wouldn't it and then the home side as well but yeah I, I'm not I honestly wouldn't know how I imagine it's something uh, yeah. similar to that I, th- um, I think maybe that's their way around it then yeah I mean I think everyone from an outsider's perspective is definitely just still in a it's, it's like a it's a grey area isn't it no one knows what's going to happen mm. yeah. um, obviously with all the sanctions they've had I mean they can't loan players they can't well, once all the players come back think of the problems they're going to have in the summer when all the how many hundreds of loan players they have out on loan come back and yeah. they can't get them out of the books obviously they can't renew contracts I'm not sure whether paying players is going to be um, an issue but yeah. If, if all these things and the obviously Chelsea rely a lot on their revenue and everything and to to buy these players to pay the players pay all the staff if if those incomes aren't coming in then surely we might be looking down the the route of administration possibly and then mm. then you get point deductions there I think the minimum one is a nine point deduction so that would put their Champions League position in a lot of uh, danger so it's it is a really yeah. it's a confusing situation. It is, and there doesn't seem to be any kind of um, like expiry date, so to speak, on when all this is going to end. We don't know. Are these oligarchs? I mean, obviously, yeah, so Abramovich is, is part of a... I think there's six oligarchs that have been um, sanctioned by the government. I think Abramovich is kind of the most well-known out of all of them. And I just we don't know, do we? Are these going to... I mean, this is not an area of expertise for me. Like I've read up a bit on about the Abramovich and kind of his past and why he is being sanctioned but I don't think anyone really knows what's going to happen in terms of will he get these assets back what has to happen for him to get these assets like unfrozen um so I think it is it's really really uh, it, yeah it's a kind of 
uncharted territory for everyone. Yeah. Going back to what you were saying, because obviously we are a football podcast, so we try and stay away from the politics, the business uh, elements of things. But obviously we've, we, we fully kind of send our, I mean, I, I know it kind of, it, it means nothing in the grand scheme of things, but we send our full support out to the people of Ukraine and what they're going through and we fully condemn everything that's that's going on there. Um, but sticking to a football uh, aspect, I know you were going back to there about the loan players coming back and not being able to sell them. Do you not think they're going to want to keep these loan players around? I mean, I know you get offered some updates yesterday on a few Chelsea defenders, their situations. Do you yeah. want to kind of update the listeners on, on those um, well, kind of details? Obviously, obviously, a big thing of... Uh, of what Tuchel's done since he's come in is he's transformed defence and created the foundations for them to obviously go and win the Champions League. I think the difference in in performance from when Lampard was there defensively to Tuchel, I mean, it's just a stark improvement. But obviously they're looking down the barrel of three of these big players for them leaving this summer. I think Chris Jensen's already agreed to join Barcelona. Um, Rudiger, perhaps, their, their standout player in all in, uh, over the whole of the pitch this season. Obviously, mm. Chelsea fans were hoping that he would uh, decide to extend his stay. Um, as I said in the post, it appeared less and less likely anyway before this news that he was going to. Uh, Fabrizio Romano uh, reported that there was three clubs interested. The strongest ones, apparently Real Madrid, they would like to get him on a free. But as I was mm. saying yesterday, this the news of, this, of these sanctions, obviously they can't sign anyone, they can't renew anyone's contracts. That pretty much rules... Rudiger out of staying in uh, at Chelsea, so there's two of them, and obviously Aspilicueta, another a mainstay in that Chelsea defence, is out of contract in June as well. He's got a contract until 2024 on the table at Barcelona being offered, and it looks as if he was probably going to take that up now because, again, he's someone else for the foreseeable. Well, we don't know how long these sanctions are going to last. I mean, they might run out by the summer, but you can't see that happening, can you? Well, going, I mean, going off what well, the way it's looking over there in, in in Ukraine, it's not looking like the the Russians are, are backing down. No. Um, so I think as long as this stuff's going on, and then if they were are successful in their in their invasion or occupation of Ukraine, I can't see. I don't know whether I don't know. I really. I, I mean, that's the thing. None of us really know what's going to happen here, do we? And I think there's. Obviously, it comes down to sometimes with these kind of things. It's like the the football aspects of things are kind of mm. they're, they're nothing. They don't mean anything really no. in the grand scheme of things. And but it, it, it's interesting to think how how it will affect the the players playing at the moment for Chelsea. I mean, obviously they got a win last night, three one at Norwich. Um, obviously, a win that everyone would fully expect Chelsea to to, to get. But going yeah. forward, obviously their Champions League, they look they look pretty comfortable in that tie with Lille two 0 up going into next week. Yeah. But you just wonder, don't you, how how will this affect the players? Obviously, they've all got so they've all got so much money. So at the moment, mm. I don't think money's really going to be at the forefront of their minds in getting paid. But no, but but they're all. I think I've well, I've seen that they're, they're going to be able to play all staff, aren't they? They can still yeah. do that. Um, and obviously, these players they're absolutely fine because if Chelsea have to let them go, then they'll have no shortage of potential suitors elsewhere. I think from a footballing aspect. It's an absolute nightmare for Chelsea because attacking-wise or well, defensively have been where they've been so strong this season. And when you look in their attack, that's where their problems have, have laid. And 
if they get, we're not seeing there doesn't seem to be any rumors around or i don't know about any kind of contract rebels in attack that might be leaving in the summer or might be forced to leave but if chelsea were to lose rudiger aspilicueta christensen i mean it's absolutely it's a nightmare it is an absolute nightmare for chelsea they'll be relying on a 38 year old Thiago Silva next season. So they'd have Tar- Thiago Silva, uh, they'd have Shalaba. Shalaba, um, Reese James, Marcus Alonso again. People like they're talking. But they'd like to they play need- three at the back. Chill well, yeah. yeah. It's going to be difficult. I mean, and Malang Sar, obviously, he looks good when he's played, but he's not a regular starter. So they're going to really have to rethink what they want to do here. And they are going to have to put all their trust in these the youth players finally you know I mean they've done a good job recently at bringing players through like James Mount but now they're going to have to put their their sole focus on on the academy well I suppose we do also need to talk about is the the, from a Chelsea fans perspective I mean I don't want to kind of uh, give you a question that you can't answer so don't feel like you have to answer this and I can offer my perspective if you want but do you think there's reason to sympathise with the Chelsea fans I know we've seen a lot on Twitter a lot of outspoken Chelsea fans saying that I don't know like almost yeah trying to get people to sympathise with them and in their situation seeing kind of kind of victimising themselves in all of this yeah do you think there is reason to to sympathise with these Chelsea fans um I think you've got a I think you've got to find some some sort of common ground I mean Obviously, the the supporters that have been sort of chanting his name through the so last week at Burnley for the the, the minutes applause of uh, for the for Ukraine, obviously they should be condemned like pretty abhorrent behaviour. But in, on the general, t- uh, there's going to be a lot of Chelsea fans that aren't that don't obviously don't, don't support the vast majority of Chelsea fans will not support what's going on. I'd probably say almost all of them. I think they're just sort of. They're trying to. I don't know what they're trying to achieve by, by uh, giving all this support to Bramvich, but it's definitely a difficult situation. Whereas, obviously, the way that the, what he's done with the club, purely football terms. I mean, he's he has caused English football to go into some sort of different world, hyperinflation and all that sort of stuff, which is bad for the game in general. But what he's done for the club as a whole, I mean, it is pretty remarkable. And Chelsea fans will have spent the last twenty or so years just turning a blind eye to everything else they 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 mm. you want to see what you want to see and for what he's done for the club and how successful he's made them that will be at the forefront of Chelsea's mind and they got they've got so used to this now that they don't want to have any different and mm. I do sympathize with them a little bit as because like the vast majority they're completely innocent to all of this they're just supporters of Chelsea and it's going to be a big change for them but obviously you have to condemn the ones that um, are coming through this stupid behaviour regarding his support yeah, and everything. Yeah, well, I, I think there's a few, there's layers, isn't there, to all that. And I think the reaction, well, that the, yeah, the behaviour of a select few at that Burnley game, and like you said, cheering Roman Abramovich's name through a Ukraine, yeah, minutes of applause. I mean, it's just, they should be ashamed of themselves. I mean, there's no kind of, yeah, there's no other way of looking at it. And, but I do think it's difficult because I think as football fans, we need to realise who we've been letting into our game, especially in the Premier League. And we need to realise what the kind of consequences it can have. 
I mean, it should be an eye-opener for the Newcastles of this world, for the Manchester Cities of this world. And the stuff with Abramovich was public knowledge. Like, we can say on this podcast there were links. Like, we won't get any kind of... There's no defamation of character or anything. This is facts. Like, Roman Abramovich, there was public knowledge that he had kind of links to the Kremlin, links to Putin, and links to... Whether it was true or not, he was he had links to kind of corruption we knew about this for a long long time i think i seen a guy talking about it on sky sports news in 2013 it came up the clip did on twitter we need to realize that the uh, the consequences this can have and it's almost like if you want to dance with the devil you can't be kind of shocked when things like this happen and i'm not saying the chelsea fans are to bl- they're not to blame they're not to blame at all but you just have to realise the consequences and you can't have the rough without the smooth or the smooth without the rough, if you know what I mean. Yeah. And I, I think that the the stuff with the chanting as well was kind of just shows the influence that certain figures can have at a club. I mean, that um, John Terry tweeting a photo with Abramovich, kind of lauding Abramovich amid all this going on and then the next day the Chelsea fans are chanting his name I mean what do you expect I mean that's why it's so problematic when these footballers take these stances and kind of throw their point like their they throw things out there like they just mean nothing and they've got this huge influence on people and it's really dangerous and yeah we'll move on anyway but I think in the in the short Chelsea look like they're in the real they're in a pickle um, we don't know what's going to happen with Chelsea. Obviously, we'll try and update you guys as and when we know concrete information. But like we said earlier, I don't think anyone really does at the minute. We're all yeah. in a in, in, in uncharted territory. Certain. Right, we'll move on now. We'll talk a little bit about the Champions League. I mean, the, the main headline, obviously, is Real Madrid. A stunning PSG in the second leg after losing 1-0 in the first leg at the Parc de Prince. Obviously... PSG starting the game pretty well, um, taking a one-nil lead, and then Benzema strikes basically. Um, yeah. I, I assume you watched the game. You got any kind of yeah. initial thoughts? It was just incredible, really, wasn't it? I mean, I think at half time, at one-nil to PSG, two-nil aggregate. I think they looked so comfortable in the game. Um, mm. Obviously, early on, I think first five ten minutes. Real Madrid came out at, at the traps pretty well and strong and fast and obviously with that intent of getting that early goal. But it seemed as yeah. seemed to me as though when they failed to get that goal, it was sort of the tie almost seemed over, especially after that other the, the Mbappe goal went in. Um, PSG looked so comfortable, but the second half, uh, PSG just collapsed as we've seen so many times before. And as soon as that first goal went in for Benzema, you, I think Real Madrid could smell blood, and I think all of us watching on TV could smell blood ourselves. I mean, it's just mm. it's just so typical of PSG. Was it PSG's demise, or was it Real Madrid's good work that that caused the result? I, I think it was definitely a bit of both. I mean, you can't put all this, you can't just put it all on PSG. I mean, just because we've seen them do it so many times in the past, I mean, it's mm. it's certainly a theme that. That it is just ingrained in the club, but you can't you can't take anything away from Real Madrid, and especially Karim Benzema. The way they came out and approached that second half, they really went at uh, PSG and thoroughly deserved. I think that second half alone, they deserved to go through over the two legs, definitely. Mm. 
Yeah. I mean, I wasn't, I don't know about you, but I really wasn't particularly impressed by Real Madrid. I maybe from a kind of a fight and the yeah the 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 mentality they showed to win the game was was really impressive. But we know that was we knew that was there with with Real Madrid. It's ingrained when you have got the likes of Ancelotti's. You've got that midfield free. You've got Champions League winners there. We know that mentality is there. But I wasn't particularly impressed in the build up play. I think they looked pretty disjointed. There didn't seem to be much creativity. I didn't think they brought their wingers into the game really at all. I mean, they started Rodrigo. Vin- I mean, Vinicius came into the game a bit, but it was kind of by his usual, just yeah. his, his kind of solo ability. It was Asensio, didn't he? Asensio started. Yeah. yeah. And I wasn't, I just wasn't particularly impressed, if I'm honest. No. And I don't think PSG did not test them at all in that second half. No. And they literally folded. They folded PSG. Yeah. I think there's. I think you can't look away from the fact that obviously the the disallowed goals as well very marginal, especially the first one. But PSG. What about could... pen- penalty? Is there is there any kind of do you reckon that they can have a shout there with that Donnarumma the Benzema push on Donnarumma? No, catching no, him in no. Possession? no. I think I, I, if I that's anywhere anywhere else on the pitch, I mean, no one makes any complaints about that. That's just it's just immaturity from Donnarumma. He will learn from that. Mm. I mean. It, all keepers have made mistakes like that. We, we shouldn't hound Donnarumma as I've seen a lot of the media doing, a lot of PSG fans. I mean, he's a young guy and he's just made a bit of a mistake there. But after that, he he can't legislate for the way his team in front of him defended. They've all got to be, they've all got to be judged on the same field, straight from the top to the bottom. I'd say the only person in that game that comes out of any sort of with his head held high is Kylian yeah. Mbappe. I mean, he did everything mm. he could to get them through and. It wasn't meant I'll to tell be. You what, did you see this Mika, Mika Richards take on Benzema? Oh, awful. It? Awful. It is absolutely what, shocking. Does he it? say in the last six months? I'm he's starting. Like, tonight he's like, well, because he says first and foremost, he says tonight he's like, I now know he's in the Harry Kane Lewandowski conversation. Did and you... then Henri's like, what? What? And he's like, I don't know. Right, I say le- last six months. Like, yeah. What? Six I mean, months? Six months. These guys, uh, this guy's been doing it for like fifteen years or I whatever. I mean, Lewandowski, yeah, Lewandowski can sit at that table, but Harry Kane, I mean, he's not even had a quarter of the career Karim Benzema's had. It's just absolutely criminal, that absolutely criminal. And I, I mean, think we'll he, stick with Karim. I think he yeah. actually thought he was being really, um, sort of, sort of um, nice to Benzema there by saying that. Yeah, I don't know what he was thinking. But this goes on to another point. Is Karen Benzema the most underrated player of all time? Or is he the most underrated striker of all time? Um, and who, who, but this is the thing. I've seen Swedes. I'm sat there like, who's not rating Benzema? I know, yeah. Who with a, with, in their right mind would not rate Benzema? Yeah, he's definitely the most underrated player of his own generation over the past 15 years. Um, I think with Benzema, it's always a case of... You see a lot of people sort of uh, blaming Cristiano Ronaldo for his sort of his role at Real Madrid and I don't think people say he's sort of been in Ronaldo's shadow and only the last two or three years people start to realise how good he is because of Ronaldo's presence has gone which I think is true to an extent but also I don't think Benzema particularly minded obviously playing with Cristiano Ronaldo in his prime at Real Madrid I think he was just happy to be sort of second fiddle there and I think Ronaldo just took the spotlight off him. I think if you actually, especially if you're a Real Madrid fan, they'll probably turn around to us and say, Benzema's been doing this for year in, year out. It's just that other players like Bale, Benzema, 
well, Bale and Ronaldo took the spotlight off him and now he's deservingly so getting all the recognition. Yeah, and it really is that. I mean, we were speaking of it the other day and I used the term coming of age story, but it's not the right. It's so to like, for want of a better phrase, it is a coming of age with, with Benzema now because yeah. it's, he's been doing it for years and obviously he's got the trophies to back it up, the goal record to back it up. But now he he's proven another side to it that he can lead a team. He can yeah. be that talisman. And, and I, yeah. Real, Real Madrid's second Champions League goal scorer now, highest goal scorer, and no really? penalties as well with 67 that, goals. No, that is the most impressive side of it, isn't it? And yeah, I just think it, it shows a whole new quality. And I do, I can get behind that, that he's shown qualities now that we didn't know he had in terms yeah. of leading a side. And obviously, Real Madrid fans might... I don't watch Real Madrid week in, week out, so maybe he did lead the side before, but from what I've seen in the Champions League and just being that guy, the guy for the big occasions, um, I, I've seen that change in him. Um, where was I going to go? I was gonna, something I was going to say. Um, oh, yeah, no. Well, I've got a story about Benzema for the listeners. Here it's we quite go. An it's an anticlimactic story, to be honest. But anyway, I was in Antibes... Um, South of France once, just a bit bit of Tory that it. Yeah, <laughs> um, I'm not a Tory. <laughs> um, anyway, yeah, we're in Antibes, we're in Antibes and in South France, and look over. We're just there, kind of in Antibes. There's this port, and obviously it's. But you'd think Monaco was like the biggest port for yachts, but it's not because you, they can't fit in the Monaco port. So they all go to Antibes, which is just along the coast. So you're walking through there, looking at all these yachts. And I look over once and I, and I see this yacht coming in. And there's a guy with a Benzema shirt on. So I'm like, oh, that's interesting. I said, oh, that guy actually looks quite a lot like Benzema, that guy next to him. Get a bit closer. And it is Benzema. And he, obviously this was in the period where he was going through a few legal issues and he'd been exiled from the France squad. And France went on to win that World Cup as well. And I was in France when they won the World Cup. And I walked past him and he was uh, having quite an irate phone call. And I bottled asking for a photo. And to this day, I still think about it. You regret it. And yeah, I do regret I'm, it. Because the, the, the worst thing is for you there, I mean, you were probably over 40 and I reckon you would have walked over there and said, can I get a quick photo? And he'd have been, he'd happily obliged. Yeah, and there's literally a photo. If you guys, if you want proof, you go through his Instagram. There's a photo on the yacht. He's obviously been paid, like he's obviously like been allowed to go on this yacht for free. Yeah. And there's a photo of him on the yacht on his Instagram. Yeah. Uh, it's honestly the most frustrating thing ever, man. Like, you don't get to meet people like that every now and then. Like, up the, uh, well, up there with don't. the Danny Alves story. Yeah, I mean, the, the Danny Alves story, that's enough one as well. So I was in Barcelona and I, I'd asked my, I wanted to get the earlier flight back. Um, I mean, this was at a point where I didn't really realise that I was young. So you, I probably didn't realise that you had to book in advance to get a flight. Like, you'd book in advance and that would be your time that you get in your flight. Yeah. So I said to my mum on the day, I was like, why can't we get the earlier flight? Anyway, we get there. This, uh, the stewards or the air stewards or whatever come over. And they're like, oh, there was a guy on the plane earlier. Place for Barcelona. This was going back to London. So I don't know what he was doing in London. And I was like, he was like, it's Daniel. And Daniel, I was like, Daniel. And Danny Alves. And he comes up and he, everyone's got a photo of Danny Alves. Every single person on the plane. And I could have been on that flight. Oh, wow. So, so peak. That but anyway, we have gone a complete on a tangent there. Um, 
But yeah, Benzema, he's coming of age. Um, oh, oh yeah, that's what I was going to say. Do you, do you think it's now a thing of the past, really? You know, these, I mean, we've seen it now with PSG and we can kind of segue on to PSG and the problems they've had. Because obviously we've seen they've got this this uh, this trifecta in attack of the all-star of Messi, Mbappe and Neymar. Yeah. And it's not worked. It's not worked, has it? I mean, no. regardless of maybe the odd performance, they needed to push for a Champions League. They needed to be in a final at least. They needed to win it. It's not worked. We were talking there about the Bale, Benzema and Ronaldo front three. And these front threes that we used to have where you do have three world-class talents in their own right and it works. And you maybe have like a the, the lead player, which is Ronaldo in that, that instance, but it works. And you've got Bale and Benzema are willing to do the extra running. I just, well, there's, there's, a, there's a question in there somewhere, but do you think that it's a thing of the past now that? And is it a mentality thing? Because... I just don't think these players are as selfless as they once were. Because you just think back um, to these, like, the MSN days. I mean, Neymar, this, he just isn't the guy that he was, Neymar. He hasn't got that same bite, has he? He hasn't got the same... The, I don't know. I just yeah. don't know what's... I don't know what your thoughts no, are. Um, I see where you're coming from. I think it's definitely fading out a little bit more. But I think, obviously, in the... In more recent times, I think Liverpool have showed us that that sort of thing is still a is still very much a thing. Obviously, the Firmino, Mane, and Salah. Obviously, Firmino. Took they a bit don't really of a... have that kind of like all star. Obviously, uh, not all reputation, yeah. do they? All-star at the, at, maybe at the the time like when they kind of yeah. rose to prominence. I think that that period of the MSN and the what was it the BBC as well? Bale, Benzema, Cristiano. I think. Yeah. I think they were just obviously. It was a time in football where we'll probably never get it again. It was a special time, and we should all be thankful that we all we were all there to witness it. Obviously, mm. great players, and they all worked in tangent. But I think when it comes to PSG, I just think I think the institution is just it just doesn't work. It's just not made for these the sort of egos to to be there, be themselves. You can just tell on the pitch. I think Mbappe. I mean, he's 23 years old and he's, he's sort of carrying a front three of Messi, Neymar and himself. And mm. I just think it shows, goes to show that you can have all the talent in the world, but when PSG are defending, they're defending with seven players. I mean, it just doesn't work like that in modern football. I mean, you'd get away with it maybe five, ten years ago. But how fast the game mm. is and how sort of... It's almost like a basketball game now. You watch some of these games, it's so back and forth and you need everyone yeah. pulling in the same direction and pulling their weight. And at PSG, it just seems like it's like it's, it is literally just a case of egos, isn't it? It really is. There's no other way of putting it, it, it. It's just really interesting, I think, because when you do watch, it, it is kind of it just defies belief. Really, you're there, you're defending a a two nil lead. They were two nil up, weren't they? I'm not remembering yeah. that incorrectly. So yeah. they're defending a two nil lead to get through in the Champions League, and regardless of kind of tactical instruction because i refuse to to be honest i refuse to believe that potch has told them but all three of them right you just just stand up front just bone idle don't come back and do any defending and it's not even terms of coming back it's just being that first line of defense isn't it being that first like pressing player i just can't believe even if i'd been told 
on a like in tactical instruction you need to stay up i wouldn't want you just wouldn't want to do that your instinct would tell you like right we're backs against the walls here we need to everyone needs to get in and i can be that first line of defense and I just don't get it. I don't get where this, where the bite's gone. Like, if you look at the, I, I understand with Messi, if I'm honest. Like Messi, he can, he should be allowed to just stay up. He should, he should be rested and kind of, kind of kept as sharp as he can for when he gets those moments. Because we saw it in the in the, the first half. He did have a few yeah. moments where he saw flashes of the past. But the Neymar's and Mbappe's. I mean, I know you could argue Mbappe's. He's doing what what he needed to do up front or whatever, so you can't argue against that. But for me, you're a young player. You should still have that drive in you. You should just be dropping in. Like, you should. You should be... Like, Pot should be saying to him, relax, like, you don't need to be doing this work. It shouldn't be trying to get him to do the work. Like, he, he yeah. should be ingrained in him at this point in his career. Yeah. And Neymar as well. Just remember that kind of the bite he had in his play and, like, he was this enigmatic player when he was at Barcelona he now I know it's maybe a uh, a case of him getting older maybe losing a, a little bit of pace maybe playing a little bit more intelligently but and I know he's got the talent to kind of still play well even when he's half trying but sometimes I'm just watching him I'm thinking oh, please like just give maybe 70% let's just see what you can do maybe try and play a little bit like you used to you never see yeah. the Neymar really going in behind anymore, do you? You never see him kind of busting a gut to get to a ball or that kind of... I just... I'm it's so disappointed with Neymar because for me, he was that the next kind of... The the one down from Messi and Ronaldo. He was for so yeah. long and he was meant to be that next Ballon d'Or winner. But Mbappe's come along and Mbappe's better than him. He is. Mbappe's better than Neymar. And I don't think I say that with full confidence. Definitely, regardless yeah. of talent as a whole and what he's doing and his productivity and what he offers to the team, he's showing that Mbappe's kind of. When we were talking about Benzema, about how he's come to the fore and been that talisman, have we seen Neymar be that talisman really? No, in a team, I like think that what the lead man. No, I, I think in his time at Barcelona, he sort of. They they sort of leveled out the responsibilities. Messi and Suarez as well. I think obviously Messi was always going to take the the take all the praise, not all the praise, but the majority of the praise because of how the incredible numbers he was putting up during them times. But I think if you go back to the game where obviously Barcelona got beat four 0 by PSG in the first leg a few years ago, and obviously they went on to win six one. I think that was sort of peak Neymar and the way you saw him yeah, play. Yeah, it was. And I think we go back to what you just said, where you said he was an enigmatic character. He he doesn't doesn't seem like he's got that fire in his belly anymore. When when people foul him and stuff, it always he'd, he'd get riled up, and by by getting yeah. riled up, he'd do more crazy skills and more and want to do more. And now it doesn't mm. even seem like all that stuff bothers him. And when they sort of lose, it just sort of seems like oh, it's just it's happened again. And I'm not really that yeah. bothered. And I think it's just a case of he's just got a little, maybe a little bit, like you say, it comes of age. He's probably matured a bit, which is which is maybe a good thing. But I think by maturing and getting older, he's definitely lost that sort of fire in his belly to, to do more. And it's a shame because he had so much potential. And I think the main reason for it, as I, I think that move to PSG was just, it's just not worked at all, has it? And I, I think, imagine what could have been if he'd stayed at Barcelona because he was in the peak of his powers at Barcelona. And he had the perfect environment around him. 
and it's just not worked at PSG and he's just become sort of a forgotten figure. Yeah, and the motivation behind that that PSG move seems kind of just a little bit... Shallow. It's hard to pick out really, isn't it? Yeah, it's like, is he going to PSG to... I think first and foremost we thought he's going there to lead this new kind of revolution of PSG and win them their first Champions League and be what Messi is to Barcelona. Yeah. And obviously he wasn't. He could never have been that for Barcelona. Like he could have no. never eclipsed Messi. And I no. do understand that side of things, but it does seem like the move has kind of drained all life out of him, drained yeah. the fight out of him, and drained that ambition. And I mean, I understand it from a human perspective. I mean, the amount of money that he's been given, it's gonna mess around with you. You kind of his perspective. It's gonna. You just. I can understand it. And watching that documentary you can see that there have been kind of outside uh, distractions. I know I've seen that his kind of relationship with his father's deteriorated. And I know his father is a massive part of kind of his his management. And he, he wasn't, he didn't want him to go to, to PSG, did he? No. But that... I suppose it is that thing of, I just don't know. I just, I just don't know. It's one of those kind of many questions, isn't it? There's so many things that, so many variables, variables and that could have impacted it. I think, some a player that can kind of compare him to in terms of the way he plays and also in terms of the fact that there are so many questions is Marcus Rashford because I see it now with Marcus Rashford where they both do it him and Neymar where instead of taking on a man or going in behind they pick up the ball and they might be on a counter-attack but they'll just stop they'll yeah. come back let the players come back and get into position and stand them up do a few flicks or whatever and then pass it on or just, I just don't know. It's just yeah. weird, isn't it? I think, yeah. And I think Neymar sort of epitomises the failures of PSG in recent years. And I think if you actually look at the situation they're in now, I mean, everyone thinks it's a really rosy situation around PSG. They've got all this money and they can just buy who they want and everything. But I think if, if you're the PSG president and you came in, what, 2011... Obviously, it took a bit of time to build. You had that period where there was sort of the Cavani's there, the Ibrahimovic's. Uh, but I don't think they really had the Champions League in mind back then. And I think they were always preparing for this sort of six, seven-year period that we've just had where they were going to invest heavily, get the best of the best, and then really go for it. And now, if you think, if you look at who, what they've got, I think Messi, will he be there next season? I think it's very uncertain. I don't know if he will. I can't remember. Well, uh, the, the only question is that I, uh, the thing that it raises really is that if he's not there, where will he be? Well, yeah. who's going to pay his wages? That's the thing. Where will he be? So, but even if he is there, he's not the same player. Uh, Mbappe, 90, 90% chance he'll be at Real Madrid next season. I think we all agree. Neymar, like you said, not the same player. Could his future be in doubt? Could he go somewhere else? So I think... PSG will look back at this last seven or eight years where they've had all these opportunities and all these failings in the Champions League and they will just they will look back at it it's such a such a failure because they haven't managed to get that goal that they've put all this investment into and this season will be the one that hurts as well hurts because the most, yeah. for me looking at the PSG squads gone by there's always been kind of glaring kind of uh, absences in midfield, uh, just problems in maybe defence. Uh, but now, it, it really looked like this team, it was kind of the most well-balanced squad across the board. 
midfield was a key thing for me with PSG, and I really felt like they secured that. That I really I was impressed with their midfield in the first half. I mean, they went for the flat midfield of Danilo Pereira, Verratti, and Paredes, yeah. and they protected the. They kind of formed a uh, like a back seven with the with the back four, and I was really impressed. And it seemed yeah. like a good approach from Pochettino. They were catching Real Madrid on the break because we knew that Real Madrid get, would have to go for PSG. Seems to all be working, and then individual errors cause it. I mean, yeah. we can segue now on to. I know we've spoke about this for a while, but I think it's important. There's a lot to talk about here, and we can go on to Pochettino as well because we've seen this with Pochettino's size before. We've seen it with Spurs when they were going to win the league, or they should have won the league, and they came third in the end. Leicester won, and is this a Pochettino problem? Is this? Maybe his mentality, his kind of erratic mentality, coming onto like coming onto the players, or I don't know. What do you think no. about Pochettino? Will he be sacked? Will he? Who's um, other teams going to want him still? I think he will be sacked, and I think if he, he, I think if he is sacked, it makes Manchester United's decision a whole lot easier, whether you like it or not. I think that would just be the the most Manchester United thing to do. Um, but in terms of Poch himself, I mean, there's always been question marks over him, especially at Tottenham. Obviously, the Spurs he tagged at Tottenham, Spurs have always had that was sort of came into full force when Pochettino was there. Their shortcomings in the coming third in the two-horse race when Leicester won the league and obviously the Champions League, they they did really well, but obviously came up short in the final against Liverpool. But I think in terms of blaming Pochettino for the other night I, I think it'd be really harsh to do that because obviously blame has to always go back to the manager at some point but I, like you said earlier I can't think of a, a reason why at half time when they were so in control surely Pochettino's not gone in there and told them to change everything and do this do that mm. differently he probably would have just said shore it up a little bit and do keep doing what you're doing and you know what if you look yeah. back in hindsight hindsight's a wonderful thing but PSG scored two great offside goals the other night. Mbappe's second one was in the second half. That would have killed the tie-off mm. completely. And it's just that things like that that happen in football. And I think you've really just got to put majority of the blame on the players because Thomas Tuchel, he's done been there. Unai Emery, all great managers who have won things elsewhere. I mean, look at Thomas Tuchel. He got yeah. sacked by PSG in December last year. Four, four months later, Champions League winners with Chelsea. It says it yeah, all. I mean... The writings on the wall. Yeah, mm. I think I think I think you're bang on to be honest, and but I, I mean I do think as well that I do think the one way I would disagree with you is that I do think Pochettino has had some impact. I do. Yeah. I think there has to be some kind of. It's just a weird pattern emerging with Pochettino of this kind of. The near, he's a nearly manager, isn't he? Yeah. Like with Spurs, he did an unbelievable job with Spurs. Unbelievable. The kind of the build he did and he brought these players on and you look at some of the players that he moulded into who they are today and you see the some of the players, what he got out of some players that as soon as he left, their level dropped. Got them to a Champions League final. He had them challenging for, for Premier Leagues. He had them consistently in the Champions League. And then at the final hurdle, it just all comes kind of crashing down. And there was a clear change in that PSG side. As soon as that first goal went in, as soon as Benzema scored that first one, the first one was where Donnarumma made the mistake, wasn't it? Yeah. Was that the first? As soon as that happened, everything fell down. Yeah. That second goal, I know it wasn't clear and obvious that it was a 
PSG mistake and it was thanks to some unbelievable play by Modric. But PSG had so many opportunities to kind of close that attack down, but they were at sixes and sevens at the back. Yeah, I don't know what it is. I mean, how, these players, if we look at the players that, have been, uh, that are there, I mean, Marquinhos, I love Marquinhos. I love him as a player, but how many times is this going to happen now? He's one of the constants that have been in that 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 mid PSG defense. Yeah, and it's a consistent thing. It's strange one as well happening. because Kim Pembe. I've seen him. I really like Kim Pembe. I think he's a really good centre back. But I consistently see him on the big stage, kind of losing his nerve. You see him flying into tackles. Kind of, he just he does seem to be a consistent thing. And I think. I mean, as well, you can't rule roll out just the Champions League and the effect that seems to have on people. I mean, the only thing I can liken it to in sport is when, I don't know if there's anyone listening that watches NFL, but when you watch NFL throughout the season, it's it's a bit like the Premier League. Like, it's kind of, enjoy, you get some really good games, but the proper spectacle and what you really want to be watching is the playoffs. And, like, if, if there's anyone listening that's thinking about getting into NFL, watch the playoffs and, like, that will you'll fall in love with the sport and it's similar with Champions League yeah. because in these high pressure moments where it is like a one game one one game like the winner win, winner takes all the mad things happen when yeah. you're under pressure just even just about how skilled you are how like professional and elite of a player you are people just fold under the pressure and it's sometimes sometimes you see it with players they just can't do it when yeah. it comes down to these big games I mean we've seen it with Man City as well. Yeah, and I mean and I think it as much as we're we're going in on PSG a little bit and the players and the manager, I think it you've just got to hold your hands up and just say Real Madrid aren't they? Just European royalty. They just know how to do it. Mm, and now definitely. I think a lot of people over the last two or three years have just sort of seen Real Madrid as this fading force, but I think we couldn't be any further from the truth. I think Ancelotti's got in there and done a fantastic job and I think that was one of the main things I picked up on that obviously I saw it when it was 1-0 to Real Madrid 2-0 to Real Madrid and the calmest man in the stadium is always Carlo Ancelotti he's just stood there hands in pockets he's watching what's going on he's not a shouter he doesn't he doesn't go mental on the sideline he lets his players get on with it and he's given his instructions but I just think what a fantastic manager of everything he's done for the game and obviously it's great to see him back in taking Real Madrid far in the Champions League again. No, I completely agree. I think he's a brilliant manager. And what I love about him is, like you said, yeah, he keeps his cool on the sidelines. But you know, in the dressing room, if he, if something needs to be said, he yeah. will say it. He ain't yeah. going to hold back. Yeah. Um, there was something I was going to add there. But yeah, no, I, I, to be fair, just to add to what you were saying as well in terms of that Madrid mentality. And we said, you've seen, like with PSG, you see how kind of costly um it can be when you have this mentality of bottling it and losing it on the big stage you also can see how powerful it can be on the other end of the scale when you yeah. have got that mentality of you just they go into those games Real Madrid they you just see them they wear the sh- wearing the shirt and you just know that this is this club is synonymous with the Champions League and the history everything it, it must just push you on and you can see it and it's just incredible that that they're still like you've still got that core of of the team. You've still yeah. got the likes of Cruz. you've got and you've got yeah Cruz Modric. I mean I don't know was Casemiro injured? Or, yeah, he's injured. Yeah, yeah. You got and then and then obviously Benzema as well. And there's also players that 
you can see are being bred into the new the new age. Like there's players like Alaba and Militao. I know Militao's been there yeah. for a while now. I mean Carver Howe's still playing. Valverde. He had a bit of a yeah, and you can see they've you, you've got to be able to get it right, haven't you? In yeah. terms of bringing the new age forward through underneath those players because that's how they understand the mentality of the club and what it means to be a Real Madrid player. Uh, they seem to just get it right at Madrid, don't they? Yeah, I and thought we spoke about it before on the podcast. So I, I thought Camavinga was really good when he came on. Really changed Tidy, the game as well. Really, yeah. He started really creating player. really loads of openings, and like you said, Alaba. I mean, Alaba had a fantastic game at the back. He did, and he's, I think he, it's it's so like it's amazing how how his career's developed. I mean, he started off at obviously Bayern and playing at left back. Then he's he's he can play in any position, but I think it's great how he's been bought in by. Real Madrid the biggest club in the world perhaps and he's just slotted in and took that mantle off Rafael Varane and Sergio Ramos and mm. he's just a, him and Militao both deserve so much praise this season for the way they've performed because the amount of pressure yeah. they will have had on them with what's been left behind by the people that have left I think they've yeah. both been brilliant I think he's just so tenacious isn't he David Alaba yeah. he's everywhere yeah. like he's pressing and he's bringing the ball out from the back and you see him picking up just random positions. Like you sometimes see him just like snapping players on the edge of the box or whatever. Yeah, I saw a video of that. No, the second Mbappe goal where the little step over and took it around the keeper. Yeah, yeah. As you see, that it was a video and it said uh, the level of IQ of David Alaba, and it's literally at that last second, just before um, I think who was it? Messi goes to play the pass through. Mm. He has a look over to Mbappe on his own and literally just two-footed jumps forward into like two yard jump just to play him offside it's just brilliant. incredible like the, awa- the awareness yeah right I mean we've spoke a lot about two topics there so what we're going to do is kind of a quick fire we'll get our thoughts yeah. on a few things I've got a few things written down uh, right so I know it's hard for you to keep this short but we'll talk a little bit about Manchester United mm, I suppose the the key things we need to discuss probably Ronaldo uh, there's been a lot of rumours I suppose first and foremost we need to talk about leaks Yeah. what are your thoughts on these leaks that are coming out which ones do you think might be true or do you kind of like to do you just kind of clear them out your head and, oh, well, I think what, you, you, might have to, you might have to remind me the amount that come out God, it's a new one every day well um, I suppose we've seen one about a teacher's pet haven't we yeah. That there's a, the players don't like this. There's a teacher's pet that keeps getting picked. Yeah. Uh, there's obviously been leaks about Ronaldo. Uh, there's been differing reports that some players yeah. don't like him. Some people saying that he's not been very good for the dressing room. Then some players have come out and uh, said that that isn't true. It's fake news. Yeah. And we've seen about Marcus Rashford, him reported leaving. I mean, pick the bones, mate. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's just a constant theme of the season. I mean, this sort of stuff never really happened. In... Did you just give it a little McTominay there? I didn't mean to. That was, that was very... Uh, it did, if, it, if anyone was watching, I didn't stick my middle finger up. Um, <laughs> but no, you know, I mean, it's just something that, like, over, across the course of the season, it's just got worse and worse. I mean, you just don't know what to believe. And I think there's definitely is a culture. There's definitely a, a group of bad eggs in that dressing room that are leaking stuff to the press. And I think, you know, if you, like, look at, like, what I, I sent you the other day, Mark Goldbridge had said that a Manchester United player himself had messaged him. Uh, I think it just shows the insecurities of some of the people in this dressing room. I mean, they really are. I'm not, 
it's it's happened so much more across the season as it's gone on. I think it's gone in parallel with this how bad the season's gone in general. Despite that, I say that I think we've been a on the whole a lot better in recent months under Ranić than what we were. But um, no, I think it's just it just sums up the the amount of insecurities that a lot of these players have in the dressing room. Yeah, uh, I mean, you, it's just it's incredible to think that people who are in this privileged position that they are playing for Manchester United, the money they earn, and yeah, okay, it's not been going great on the pitch, and there might be stuff inside the club that happens that we don't know about. But I think it's just you've got they've got to have more of a strong mentality and just get on with your job and do what's best. I mean, these coming out of the leaks and coming to the press and just little briefs to journalists and stuff. I, I think it. I think it's just d- disgusting behaviour, really. It's just examples of them kind of looking out for themselves as well, isn't it? And just yeah. their their own interests at heart. It's, there's no kind of thought about the club and the, how it reflects on the club. Yeah. And these players, it's this mentality it used to be, you'd be honoured to play for Manchester United. Yeah, how? And there are certain players, there's players in that team that I know it, it isn't lost on. Like, it isn't. There's certain players that clearly honoured to be in that United team and I think they almost get kind of hindered by the teammates around them and uh, it's I mean I suppose the easiest thing to ask is ask about specific things Marcus Rashford wanting to leave what are your your first what's your first reaction to that the first reaction that it was a, a an awful time for him to sort of brief the press about this the immediate morning after a, a battering in a Manchester derby. I mean, have just read the room a bit, have a bit of respect. Don't yeah. don't do that. I can understand where where his thought process might be coming from, whether he should keep that public knowledge or not. But you know, it's just one of them things. I think with Rashford. I mean, I love the guy, and like he's he's been on the whole, he's been really good for United over recent years, and. He's provided us in dark moments with a lot of times that's with a lot of good moments, and he's mm. kept United's torch burning almost, so to speak, in recent seasons and given us bits of hope. But yeah. I think this, the way he's talking about how he's scared of losing his England place, I think at the moment you've already lost your Manchester United place. Fight for that first before you have any thinkings of England. Yeah, and I mean this is. I mean, this is a, the first real bad spell Rashford's had in his United career of really bad form and being out the side. And I think it, I, I thought he'd be better than that. I thought he'd get his head down a bit more and sort of the, the way he went, he's grew up, he's a Manchester United fan, he's born a few miles away from Old Trafford and how much he loves the club. I didn't think that... I mean, he, he, well, how old was he when he, he joined United? Because he must uh, have eight years been old. around the club... Yeah. He must have been right. Yeah, he must have been around the club during the real golden era. Well, he around the Fergie days, he, the Champions League winning days. Well, this is the thing. He he spoke in the past uh, before people like before like Ronaldo rejoined the club. But how he'd have a when he was in the academy, he'd have a season ticket in the Stretford End in the in the years, and he'd go he'd go there and watch Tevez, Rooney, Ronaldo, watch his idols every week. And now he's play, mm. playing with Cristiano Ronaldo, and. I don't know. I mean, I just think he's just got to focus on getting... I don't know what's going on with him. I think there's definitely something deeper going on. I think people have been saying this for a while. I'm not sure yeah. I'm not sure what it I is. I think a lot with a lot of these things, though, it's kind of... 
it's reining in your your ambitions and like you said in terms of looking up for like looking to your England spot and things like that I don't think anyone's expecting Rashford right now to literally next week become a world beater again and right. become the kind of feel the, the the well well yeah reach the potential that we all know he has or had no one's expecting that just focus on the here and now focus on the simple things go into training and work hard get your head down don't put mm-hmm. stuff on social media just delete your social media accounts go into games and i remember paul skulls always used to say it and i always used to remember when i played he always used to say if you're having a bad game if you're having it in bad form just do the simple things just get the ball and pass it get the ball and just do what's in front of you and do what's asked of you work hard because that's all United fans are asking for and you can see it in a player I mean as a Leicester fan you see there's countless examples of players that ability wise probably shouldn't be playing for us if we're going for these Champions League places winning silverware going off ability they shouldn't be playing for us but you see week in week out they try their absolute best they do the simple things well I mean look at the likes of like Danny Simpson's got a Premier League title from doing it. Like, all you've got to do is just do the simple things. I knew it will still be there. Still will come a point where he'll have to go to that next level, and to achieve what he was set out to do. But right now, in the here and now, all he has to do is just do the simple things. Because he was one that really stuck out to me as well. That he came on in that Manchester derby and was just he was walking around and he's that first press he sets the tone for the rest of the team and we've seen it with Rashford as well the guy's got he's got the leadership qualities he knows the club he's got the ability he's got everything yeah that's where it comes down to maybe there is an issue another issue that we don't know about and I wouldn't want to speculate but you do just think someone just needs to sit down with him and say like what's going on first and foremost is there something else that's going on and maybe there are those conversations are already happening but i'd just say to him just rein in your ambitions like just focus on the here and now and yeah that's my point of view on it obviously what about ronaldo we'll move on because obviously there are a few other things we'll talk about but ronaldo first and foremost yeah uh, or lastly i should say what are your thoughts on that? These different leaks. Do you think I've seen somewhere that maybe he was getting phased out of the club? Yeah, I've saw stuff about that regarding Ranić is unsure about his capacity to lead the team. I think it's there's no it's no secret that we need to sign a a younger, fresher striker in the summer. But I think that's to I think that that should be to play with Cristiano Ronaldo. I think obviously no one knows what his future is going to be. I think it. I think if we fail to get the Champions League, I think it's unlikely that he stays. But I'm not sure. But I also, saying it's unlikely, I'm not sure whether that is unlikely because I'm not sure who's going to take him. Who's going to take him on them wages? Because he's not going to want to take a pay cut. So he's got a two-year contract here. And yeah, I don't think it'd be on the pale to think that Cristiano Ronaldo could be playing in the Europa League next season. Mm, I agree. I think he'll stay. but But in general terms, I mean, it's it's so hard for me to ever have the the sort of just the just want to criticize Cristiano Ronaldo because I find it so difficult how can you criticize someone that's done so much in the game and won so much and I think at the end of the day this season 
I think a lot of things have come to light. A lot of these leaks and stuff have all come to light because I think someone like Ronaldo's gone in there and he's, I think he's exposed the problems at the club. I think he's mm. exposed the standards that have been there. I think he would have gone in there and been absolutely just completely shocked at how 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 much the levels have dropped since he last left the club. Mm. But I mean, in terms of these leaks now, and like people are saying how he sort of faked an injury to get out of the derby because he was on the bench. I'm not sure of that because he's not trained with the group this week. So I, I, I do think there is an issue there. Apparently he missed three games in January because of this same issue. So I know I, I, I fail to believe that Cristiano Ronaldo would would bail on a on a match day squad. I mean he's someone that and wants... a Manchester derby at that as well. Yeah, I mean he's been on the bench three or four times this season. Chelsea away he started on the bench and he, he was fine with it. He came on and he was he, he did well and he's not the sort of player that I'd 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 want people to start putting trying to name name shame him for stuff like this because it's I just mean, not him. He can never be he can't be the problem either, can he? Because no. if you look at the mentality there's no like. There's so many players at United where you can kind of debate their mentality and whether they are at the level or whether they've yeah whether they've got the mentality to be a winner and know how to win things. Yeah. No one can debate that with Ronaldo. No, no one like this is fact. We know he can do it. He's the pinnacle. So yeah. If Ronaldo's the odd one out, then everyone else is the problem basically. Yeah. And like, yeah, mate. It's such a it's such a conundrum to because. Obviously, you sound you sound disillusioned, mate. I am, mate. Well, you sound I'm a bit down in the dumps with everything that's happened this season. But I think I I, I struggle to ever criticise him because I don't care whether people want to come at me and say he doesn't make he, he's made the team worse and stuff. Like whether you think that or not, we wouldn't be gearing up for a second leg against Atletico Madrid next Tuesday if it wasn't for Cristiano Ronaldo. We'd be a far far less points off in the league if it wasn't for Cristiano Ronaldo. He's our top goal scorer in all competitions. Um, and whether you think he he's he's bad for the side as a whole, um, just deal with it because and it's you, quite... if you think that though, you don't. You obviously you're either too young to have watched Ronaldo in his prime for yeah. United, or you just don't know football. Because yeah. and I I rarely say things like that because it's opinion, and I know it's a matter of opinion, but. Ronaldo can't be the problem here. He can't because even if he wasn't at the level playing wise. His mentality should still be there. Should still be so much to learn from him. Yeah, like he still knows what it takes. Even if he can't put it into practice, he knows what it takes to to win trophies, to be these players. And I mean, going back to Rashford again, like how has Rashford not been able to just relish playing under Cristiano Ronaldo? Like if there was a player that I could model Rashford on when growing up, it would have been Ronaldo. If you look at the profile and the kind of certain attributes they've got. Yeah. They're so similar. Like I always used to say it when Rashford was younger and kind of say it kind of reluctantly that Rashford's got a bit of Ronaldo about him and he did. And yeah. he still does in terms of certain ways that he plays and no, I, I I agree and basically what you're saying is Cristiano Ronaldo isn't the problem. Isn't, isn't the problem, no. The no. the problems run far deeper than Ronaldo and I think in general the rest of the dressing room just have to look at themselves. I mean Ronaldo's yeah. I think completely blameless really. I think yeah. he's. I think the only thing that he can be blamed for is coming in and exposing all the low standards. And if any, if that's a bad thing, then I, I don't mm. know. <laughs> exactly, exactly. I think it's just a, a sign of a, a far greater problem at United and one that's riddled the club. Yeah. We'll move on. Um, 
we'll talk about United's manager problems in the future, in a future episode, and maybe potential kind of candidates to take over yeah. from Ranić if he is to leave. We'll move on to another kind of managerial change. Marcelo Bielsa obviously sacked. Yeah, with a heavy heart, I think for a lot of Leeds fans. I know he was. He's had a pub named after him. I think he's had a street named after him. Do you think yeah. it was the right decision? Um, do you think it was maybe rushed? Do you think he perhaps was unlucky with injuries? Um, or do you, I think, think it was the, just the right time? Um, I, don't, I mean, I'd, I'd say it probably was the right decision. I think yeah. the trajectory and what the how the results were going, it didn't seem as if there was ever going to be any upturn in form. I think it it was a case, and I think Bielsa. I think he admitted that after the Tottenham game, so after his last game in charge of Leeds, uh, the reporter asked him if he thinks teams have just worked out how to play against Leeds now, and he basically mm. just said, "Yeah, that's a strong possibility." So he didn't come back with, "We've got another plan B," and that's always been a criticism of Bielsa. He's quite, I mean, he's a great manager, but he's a very stubborn manager, and he never really looked like he wanted to change. So, say if Leeds were under the cosh. He wouldn't rein them in and say, let's sit back and let's fight for this. And He'd still play the same brand of football and that's where a lot of their problems have been caused this season. Mm. So I do think the way the results were going, I think it was the correct decision to get rid of him. But Jesse There Marsh, are certainly other things though, isn't there? There's certainly other... There are. There can be sim- the tra- simply I mean, there. Like you said, the injuries. I mean, I don't think there's been a manager as unfortunate as Bielsa this season with injuries. I mean, Pat, uh, Patrick Bamford, eighteen goals last season. I mean, he's. he's the, the, he, I mean, the one that sticks out to me is the Calvin Phillips. Calvin and Phillips, just the way they play, that hole in midfield, there was just, it was just vacant with yeah. him not there. That he had that um, huge hole in midfield, and the way they played in terms of pushing up, and they kind of discounted the midfield, the Bielsa, the Bielsa tactics. It was playing both halves of the pitch basically, their goal and our goal, and. That middle of the park, you need that all-encompassing midfielder. And if I'm honest, I think without Phillips, I think you've well, it's just exposed the fact that Phillips is the one that's got Leeds where they are, and he is Bielsa's right-hand man. He was the one that, and I don't know. You wonder, don't you, whether Bielsa fully understood how important Phillips was because you'd think they would have had someone else that could have come in. Because, I mean, they've had four, sure. I mean, when they visited us last weekend, they had Glick at centre mid and he was didn't kind of left a lot to be desired. So you do, with all these situations, there are two ways of looking at it, isn't there, with injuries? Because yeah, you shouldn't be so reliant on one player. You should have contingency plans. You should have someone to come in. And I think Phillips has had a few kind of niggles here and there. And, but I, I I am in the camp that thinks I, I, don't, I don't think he should have been sacked Bielsa I think it's difficult though isn't it because when you're getting dragged into a relegation scrap you kind of have to make that call in the moment do you think Jesse Marsh is that man to keep them up I mean we've seen a 1-0 loss to Leicester and then I've got to be honest being in the ground I thought they played pretty well Leeds um, I was pretty impressed it was obviously his first his kind of maiden uh, outing and there was a lot of improvements a lot of them were quite simple improvements, though, and like yeah. they were something that I think the average football fan could have done in terms of putting a more defensive midfield in, um, just kind of reining in that press a bit. Although they definitely did still play with a with a pressing system. Yeah. And then last night, obviously losing three 0 to Aston Villa, 
at home as well. I mean, that's going to be, be really damaging that because your first home game as a manager, you really want to get a, at least kind a of draw, start yeah. off well, yeah, and just get the atmosphere going. I mean, I know they've got no issues in that department at Leeds. But do you think, I, I mean, I don't know if you know more about Jesse Marsh than I do. I know little bits about him. I know his kind of philosophy is somewhat similar to Bielsa's, but a little bit, maybe a bit more conservative. Obviously, yeah. he was at RB Leipzig. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you know, have a little bit more background um, on him than I do. Well, he's sort of he's sort of a, one of the classics from the from the typical Red Bull model, really. So, mm. obviously, he's, he he was at Salzburg. Uh, he won back to back domestic doubles in uh, in Austria. Obviously, for for a lot of people that might not sound too impressive, obviously they are the best team in Austria. So, he's been at New York Red Bulls as well. Uh, did okay over there, and obviously. He was the heir to the throne of Julian Nagelsmann at, in the summer at, at Leipzig as yeah. Nagelsmann moved on to Bayern. And I think the expectation was that, that Marsh was going to sort of pick up from where Nagelsmann left off. I mean, they're very similar managers. They play similar ways of football. Big shoes to fill, though. Big, big shoes, shoes to, to fill, fill, yeah. Definitely big shoes to fill, I think. Um, and it just didn't go to plan for Leipzig under him. I mean, he was sacked at the start of December. Uh, just results weren't good enough. I think they went into the season with a strong squad, hoping that they would be challenging for the title, like they ran by in close last season. But it just didn't happen. I mean, they were sitting sort of mid-table when he got sacked. And But I don't think it's... I think there's still a manager in there, definitely, with Jesse Marsh. I think it's just going to take a, a bit of time to get his ideas across to the Leeds players. But it's whether Leeds have got that time at the moment where have mm. they, have, are they afforded that time and if they do go down to the championship is he going to be the correct man to bring them back up I mean no one knows because he's yeah. he's, an, he's an unknown entity in English football but he certainly deserves a chance to stamp his mark on Leeds and hopefully for them mm. he, he can get his ideas across sooner rather than later and they can start picking up points because they, they really do need them I think there's a lot of um, kind of these these teams vying for relegation you you find yourself looking at the teams and going, I know, they've got some really quality players. Like they're surely not relegation fodder players. But I think this is kind of we're realizing the quality of the Premier League this season. Yeah. Like as relatively and like as an average, it's so high. Yeah. Like it's so so high. And you look across the board at different managers that the clubs have brought in. I mean, I look at we look at the sides that are going like a pretty. You you'd say your favourites to go down. I mean, I'd never rule out anything, but. Norwich and Watford you look at they've made the appointments that if I was to say keeping a team up I would have gone for Roy Hodgson at Watford and I would have gone for for Dean Smith at Norwich and I think you could argue I've not seen much improvement under under Hodgson but under Smith I've definitely seen improvement at Norwich yeah and you just wonder don't you like I don't know I mean there's going to be managers going down that you wouldn't expect to and there's going to be managers that there's going to be marks on certain managers resumes because I mean you look at Dyche at Burnley they're in the contention for go, to go down but now I think looking at Leeds and Everton and the drop off they've had I think Burnley will be alright yeah. I think it is going to be Leeds and Everton fighting for that kind of last yeah. kind of six, 17th is it, yeah. is it 17th that stays up yeah 17th yeah yeah we can talk about Everton briefly. I know this is a long episode, but do you think Everton are going down? I mean, how screwed no. is, is no, Lampard? No. I don't, I, you don't. 
Everton are in a really bad situation, but I think if you actually look at the table, I mean, obviously it's not great. It's not great reading, but they do have the. They are free. They have got three games in hand on the team below them, and mm. two games in hand on the team above them. So, and there's there's a point or so in there. I think Everton. Yeah. They have. They should have enough quality to stay up. But then again, I think if you look at their run of fixtures, they're, they're it's worrying. They've got Wolves at home next. That's followed by Liverpool away, Manchester United at home, Leicester City away, mm. Arsenal away, and then Palace and then Chelsea away to finish on the last game of the season. I mean, that's a tough running. It doesn't look good, does it? And if he plays the way he did against Spurs, Lampard, where he tries to press and he clearly just hasn't got the team to do it, hasn't got the means to do it. Yeah. And if he continues to do that, I think they will go down. I yeah. mean, that's my point of view. And I think he's got to go against his kind of initial instincts and the kind of manager he wants to be in the future and, and sit in. Because yeah. I think the way they played against Spurs just showed that Frank Lampard has got nothing on his resume to suggest that he is the manager to keep Everton up. He's got nothing, no qualifications to suggest he can do that. And that further kind of highlighted that, that, uh, that Everton-Spurs game. To come out against a side like Spurs and just press and leave loads of gaps in behind. And we know how strong Spurs are on the break as well. And we know how weak defensive, uh, Everton are defensively. It was criminal, really, as a manager to do that. And it was kind of suicidal approach. And I don't know. I'm concerned for Everton, if I'm honest. I don't want them to go down. Uh, they've obviously, the, I think they're the only team left that haven't gone down. Or among a, 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 a longest standing contingent. Yeah. Longest standing, and yeah. Yeah. So I would be disappointed to see them going down. Would be a I think, l- I suppose, would, would, we'll, would be a little bit funny, wouldn't it? Yeah, well, I mean, I don't have anything against Everton. Nah, I mean, no, neither do I. I, I. I do think the people running the club deserve it because they've made so many bad decisions, and you yeah. should kind of be made to pay if you're that making, if you're kind of that incompetent. Like it's just gross incompetence from from the Everton board and the amount of money they've spent, some of the appointments. I mean, to think that the Benitez one would ever work. I mean, it just it set them back even further because it, it kind of ruined that relationship even more with the fans. And yeah, I, I mean, in terms of the relegation sides, I've not really got too much kind of uh, loyalties to any team. I'd like to see Burnley stay up just because for what they stand for. And I like what Everton stand for as a club and like their fans, but the people in charge, yeah, they can go. They can, they need to, yeah. Um, do you want to finish there, or we've got a few things, other things that we can cover? Or I mean, you've just a, in, quick thoughts on Coutinho coming back. How impressive has, has he been? Yeah, been really good. Definitely um, added in another dimension to Villa's play. Um, bit of flair. Obviously, I think he's yeah. he's built up a really good understanding with Jacob Ramsey. I think we did actually. I've just remembered. I've, I've got deja vu. We did speak about Coutinho, didn't we? Last episode. Possibly, yeah. Um, I mean, it was a yeah. while ago now, but. Yeah, I mean, well, we can talk about one another thing we can talk about with him. Obviously, yeah, everyone knows how well he's done. But another thing we reported on divided opinion, breaking news: Felipe Coutinho he's going to have to take a cut, a significant wage cut, to his current four hundred and eighty grand a week. And it's not euros that that's pounds. Four hundred eighty thousand pounds a week he's on at Barcelona. 
He's going to have to take a significant wage cut. Jack Grealish was the previous highest earner at, uh, at the West Midlands club. He was on 130 grand a week, Grealish, and that was kind of a uh, for them. I think a kind of a ridiculous wage for Villa. I think if he if that's their highest, I can't imagine any players are anywhere near that at Villa. Do you think this could be a problem here for Coutinho? And um, do you see him signing? Do you see him choosing? A, it's obviously there's going to be a monetary uh kind of um temptation or is he going to go with his like the footballing aspects because that's what it comes down to it i'm not sure i mean it all comes down to the player himself i i, I don't know whether there's going to be there must be some sort of agreement in place come the summer between his contract and the sort of termination of that uh, or but is it it's a they're going to be paying a fee for him if they want to get him but I think, as you've seen in in other transfers, as I think an example was Alexis Sanchez when he left United to Inter Milan. I think they paid a fee for him around about fourteen million pounds, but effectively United terminated that contract with mm. him, and because I think they owed him something in the region of sixty million pounds for his last two years. So I don't know how these clubs work, and not sure. I mean, no one knows how Barcelona works, do they? Finances wise, I mean, God knows what they've got in mind, but. I think exactly. if you're Coutinho, I think obviously I no, I'm not his uh, accountant or financial advisor, but I think he's certainly he will have built up enough money in his life to be very comfortable. So I think if he's really got aspirations of coming back properly and sort of building something there at Villa with Gerard, then I th- I'd, I'd have liked to think he'd he'd just forget about that big contract he's been on at Barcelona and come to Villa and you know put pen to paper on a on a, a lot of a reduced reduced contract but you don't know do you? you don't know what his motivations and also how long has he got left on his Barcelona contract it can't be that long maybe a year or two he's got he's 2023 it runs out yeah so another year after this so yeah I'm for him sure. though like if you think about it as a terms of like if you he's got a family you think about it, you coming to the end of this year and you've got another year of earning 480 grand a week or you could go to Villa and earn ballpark figure probably around 100 grand a week I mean, I mean, I know you're not his financial advisor, but if I was his financial advisor, I'd be telling telling him to stick around in Catalonia. I would. Well, you just you don't know four hundred and eighty grand a week, bro. It, this is like I know he's already earned life changing money, but this is like generate. He will set up his family generations to come. That contract. He's already set up his family though. He's been earning that. He's been earning that wage since 2018. I mean. You know but, what I mean? But another year of it, mate. You just never know with football, do you? You never know when an injury is going to come. And I know, I know, obviously, we're talking. <laughs> it's all it's all relative. Like he's, the guy's going to be all right. But if you're in that position, and surely you're telling me that if you had an opportunity to earn four hundred eighty grand a week for another year, yeah, or go to Villa and earn a hundred grand a year, and you've got a family to think about, yeah. But I think you're that, already in that world. I he's think probably. I mean, greed becomes a, a thing, yeah. isn't it? Well, I think I don't know the person, but I think if I, I think I'd honestly go choose probably the Villa agents route. Pressuring him, I'd probably choose the Villa route, mate. I mean, he's what he's probably sat on tens of millions of pounds already. He doesn't exactly. He's. He, I think he's happy with. He should be happy with going to Villa and playing. He should be, mate. He should be. And um, I and also I do want to think. I do think. I don't. I can't see him be earning a hundred grand a week, Aston Villa. They're definitely going to be whacking at least north of 150 grand a week at him, I think. 
you think yeah I mean it's a, the Villa have got to this stage now the, obviously the new ownership and everything and the new project that uh, uh, I was about to say Lampard then God. Um, <laughs> Gerard's got they're going to have to start paying these monumental wages if they want to attract the best players and keep up keep up with these teams in the top six top eight of the Premier League who are paying these type of wages so I mean it's just a decision well, Villa want to make as a club isn't it how far well, because here's another Here's another question for you. And what about, obviously, you could see the form that he's kind of showing as a bit of a double-edged sword for, for Villa. Because yeah. the better he plays, the more attention he gets elsewhere. And I know he, Villa have got first dibs, and I don't know exactly how it works with these options to buy. But obviously, they've got first dibs on the kind of transfer, 33 million, I think it is. But in terms of, I don't think... Coutinho is under any pressure to to accept a contract, and if there are op- options elsewhere, could you not see that becoming a thing? Because there are a lot of teams, a lot of big teams, a lot of Europe's elite. They've they would have ruled out going for Coutinho, and now all of a sudden he becomes an option again. There yeah. will be teams sniffing around for him. There will be. Yeah, I mean, do you not think that could be an issue for Villa? Possibly, possibly, but. Um... It's just I just a, think it, with these things, it's not always football. And I've come to know that like the, the romantic view on football very like rarely comes to fruition. Like what you're saying is in like, oh, oh yeah, I'd go to Villa. And like, that's the football fan in us and the kind of the love for the game that we have. But that it becomes polluted by all this money. Yeah. And it, it kind of great. almost goes back to what we were talking about at the top of the show. But I just... I honestly, yeah. If you want my verdict now, and obviously I, I'm not, I don't come from any point of, kind of, I don't know any more than anyone else does. I'm just going off what I know. But I'd say now that I don't think Coutinho will come back and on a permanent Sevilla in the summer. That's my, that's my prediction. I just don't think okay. it'll happen. I'm going to predict he does. Well, yeah, fair enough. So, you put so. money on it? No, no, I'm joking. Could do. Do you want to? Um, we'll have a forfeit. Mm, depends what <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, no uh, we, to be fair we didn't talk about it at the start, start of the show I had a great night at the King Power last night unbelievable atmosphere great. but I'll tell you now yeah there's a couple points Conference League I was fully against it at the start I thought what are they doing here it's the cash grab but honestly it's bloody brilliant the Conference League well, it's brilliant it why are you rolling your eyes I bet it is when you're in it I yeah. mean, to be fair, I've got to give myself up for it. We're going to win it next year. <laughs> <laughs> well, honestly, that's the thing. If you're a United fan and you're worried about being in the Conference League, don't worry. Don't sweat it. it. It's I wish it was brilliant. a sort of opt-in, opt-out sort of thing where you could get on with right. But European football, honestly, is it should be something that you should just appreciate it. Any fan, you should just appreciate the opportunity to play European football. And we took, um, it was like a kind of, the charity thing we took my mate Sedge who's a Forest fan there just we took him to the game what last show, night show him what yeah just to show him what it was like the, how the other side live like, and how the other the half same, live the same team that beat you 4-1 about a month ago <laughs> <laughs> but anyway just just getting over that in terms of when you realise when you speak into like a Forest fan you realise like just having European football, mate, you should, it's yeah. just a privilege. It's honestly yeah. a privilege. And, I mean, Forrest still talk about, what, how long ago was it that they won the, the Champions League? 
I mean, it wasn't even called the Champions League. They won two, to be fair. So. And also, yeah, another thing I was going to say is that if anyone's got any objections against, like, I know there's a, a lot of teams have talked about singing sections. There was a singing section last night, and it was brilliant. And honestly, I, I, I think it was maybe just the way Leicester's ground works in terms of it's like a closed-in environment and it's relatively small. But it just, it's just unbelievable. It just adds yeah. a whole new element, and the noise was just... Something I've never heard. Interested on your thoughts on Ren. How were they as a team? Good. They look good. That's why I was happy with the result. Obviously, 1-2-0. And they look like a solid team. I got to see Jeremy Doku first-hand. Well, looks he like was a tidy pretty, player. Yeah, well, I saw Sophie well, score. Like didn't t- give him much of a rating. Well, he didn't do brilliantly. He did have an amazing game, but he didn't do like do much wrong. Um, there was no one really... I'll tell you what. There was um, a centre-back, actually. Let me just find out his name. Right. Yeah, there was this centre-back that I was impressed with. I think it must be Amari. Warmed Amari, 21 years old, French centre-back. Looked really composed, really good, tidy player. And to be honest, his um, Aguered, his, his, his partner, uh, I think he's Moroccan, I think. Yeah, Moroccan centre-back, 25 years old. I was No, I was impressed with, with Ren. There wasn't really a standout player, to be honest. Um I remember that Terrier. I don't know where. Terrier, he, yeah. Where will I remember him from? Where's yeah, he always played he's for been, Ren? I think he's been around the block in. Yeah. In League One. Uh, yeah. Yeah, Ren. But no, they are look... a, a side close to my heart. Are they? Not, well, not particularly. I'm um, on holiday in France, driving from the north of France down to the south, and interesting. I actually was in need of a, t- a toilet. Oh yeah. And. I was the closest We've all thing. Been there. The closest thing by was um, Roseanne Park, Wren Stadium. Yeah. So, wow. hopped off there into the club shop, used the uh, toilets, and thanked the staff, and off we were back on the road. But just nice. lots of, it's a lovely little stadium actually. So if you're thinking of going to the away away leg, then good fa- good facilities. Yeah, excellent facilities. Yeah, nice, nice. So well, not, if you're ever in the Wren area and you need the toilet, you know where to go. The mega store is always happy to help. <laughs> and a lot easier to get into than the the Chelsea megastore nowadays I've heard oh, great <laughs> um, right I think we'll call it a day there it's a good episode I think we, it was good to give you guys a, a bumper episode to return with yeah. and we'll be back now um, I think we are going to be a bit less kind of m- what's the word stringent in terms of being each week like, I think yeah. When, as day, and when yeah. we've got things to talk about we'll come on and talk about them we're going to try and get guests on etc but I think we found the kind of doing one every single week even when we hadn't got too much to talk about kind of maybe took away from the quality of each yeah. show so and obviously it helps as well if you guys let us know what you want us to talk about because yeah, it, it, obviously, it, we, we do this for ourselves because we enjoy it, but we also do, we want to talk about whatever you guys like and want to hear about, so let us know. Um, yeah, um, have you enjoyed being back, Westy? Loved it, mate. Just like I was yeah. never away. Hit the ground running. Good luck. Well done, yeah. well done. Um, yeah, thanks for listening, guys. And like I said earlier, uh, earlier in the show, if you want to follow us on Instagram, at Divided Opinion. Um, everyone's welcome come and join the debate there's new members every single day if you enjoyed the podcast follow us on your chosen podcast provider 
think you can rate our podcast on certain podcast providers so if you feel like doing that do it um you can be honest let us know what you thought of the episodes we can take a bit of constructive criticism let us know what you want to hear again and yeah thanks for joining me Wes. thank you very much mate really enjoyed it great all right we'll see you next week guys yeah thanks for listening guys and we'll speak to you soon <laughs> what, what are you laughing at <laughs>